Open your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I heartily agree with Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher who, uh, who used to say that the most difficult part of sermon preparation is knowing what to preach, what your text ought to be, what message God would have you to deliver. And Boy, I agree with that. I mean, after you get that nailed down, the rest of it is, uh, in comparison, fairly easy. Uh, that's not to say that studying God's Word is always easy, but, but the toughest part is knowing what to preach. And I was thinking about that this week because uh, uh, I don't want to be guilty of just getting up here and preaching what, uh, what I want to preach. And I sure don't want to be guilty of getting up here and preaching maybe what you might want me to preach. Uh, and so uh, I learned a long time ago, it's always best to ask God, Lord, what am I going to preach this week? And uh, I gave him a few suggestions. <laughs> I said, Lord, I'd really like to preach that message I preached up there in Kansas City years ago, old time religion. Uh, boy, I, I can think of 40, 11 different reasons why I, you know, I'd like to preach that message. I, I really would. And he said, no, no, I got something better than that for you. Uh, but he didn't tell me what it was. He just said, I got something better. I guess he's wanted me to play this guessing game. And I said, well, Lord, what about that time that uh, out there in Lubbock, Texas, where I, I preached that message on training for raining? I and I've already preached that here, Lord, but I'd sure love to preach that again. No, no. He said, I got something that's better. I said, Lord, well, you know, I've been wanting to preach, uh, uh, I've been wanting to preach on uh, the mystery of iniquity. I, I think I'd like that. I think that'd really be interesting because I've never heard any preacher preach on that. And he said, no, I got something better than that. And so I said, Lord, I'd really like to even start a study of the book of Revelation, you know. And somebody mentioned that this morning. They've been listening online. But, uh, but this last week I kept thinking, you know, I, 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 need, to, I need to preach another series on that. Uh, and he said, no, I've got something better. I could go on and on. I, I, I probably, I, if God gets impatient with preachers, and, and he probably does, uh, and finally I said, okay, Lord, what is it? It doesn't make me any difference. I just want to know what it is. And so when he got to that point, well, he, this is what he laid on my heart here in verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Having preached last week on the God of all grace, I have not been able to stop thinking about this phrase, the Father of mercies. And this text begins in the most appropriate way possible. Notice that it begins with praise. That word blessed expresses adoration and appreciation. It has to do with our praise of God, that we adore Him, that we appreciate Him. And as we search the Scriptures, we just find numerous reasons why we ought to praise the Lord. Psalms 145 tells us because of the greatness of His being. Psalms 36 tells us it's because of His compassion. Lamentation chapter 3 and verse 23 
speaks about his faithfulness, and that list goes on and on and on. But when it comes to mercy, there's, I don't guess, anything ever written that covers the subject better than Psalms 136, because all 26 verses all end with this phrase, For his mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. And here in our text, we find God praising the Lord for his compassion and for his comfort. And he tells us that he is the father of mercies. That means that he is the originator of mercy. He is the source of all mercies. And so as we search the scriptures, we learn several things about the mercy of God. We see that it is declared And when I say that, I mean it's declared over and over and over again because it regularly, repeatedly affirms that God is a merciful God. Remember when Paul, whenever Paul called for his readers to present themselves as a, what, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, he based that entire plea on this statement. He said, on the mercies of God. And that's what he had been speaking about all through Romans chapter uh, 1 through 11. The first part of it where it has to do there, you know, with all of the doctrines and what we believe. And it speaks much of the mercy and of the grace of God. But now it comes to that part where from chapter 12 on throughout Romans, it speaks not so much about our doctrine, but about our duty, our responsibility to God. And he bases us surrendering ourselves, making ourselves as a living sacrifice on the fact that God has been merciful to us. Micah tells us, that God delighteth in mercy. That sets him apart from every other false god in this wicked world. No other religion, no other religion worships a God that can be described as one who delighteth in mercy. Every other God is someone who is gruffy, someone who is cruel, someone whose wrath must be appeased by something that we do. It is said of the Jews whenever they assembled in the synagogues that they always prayed these words, Our Father, merciful Father, ever compassionate, have mercy on us. And that was in keeping with the teachings of God's Word. Notice the context here where Paul is speaking and look at what he says in verse number 4 because it gives us the context of what's going on and the reason for him pointing out to them that God is the Father of mercies who comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Notice all our tribulation. I underlined that. I colored it in yellow because the subject that he's dealing with is the subject of suffering and all of us can identify with that, right? Because we all suffer in some way. Living in this fallen world, there's no way that we can avoid suffering and um, there are a lot of folks that are hurting and they're wondering, does God really care? Oh, I know you and I, we've got that figured out, don't we? Right? We, we, we know God really cares. 
But there are some people that feel that if he really cares, like you Christian claim, if he really cares, he sure has a strange way of showing it. Because they don't understand why God would allow, in their words, bad things to happen to good people. And what they don't realize is there are not any good people, you see. So whatever happens to us is better than what we deserve. And as you know, probably from experience, that when we are mired down in the pit of affliction, when our body is racked with pain, whenever we are maybe in an emotional wreck, we don't always reason as we should. And that's why we need to be reminded of this fact that He is the Father of mercies because our mind gets out there somewhere just like it was with the psalmist. The psalmist in the midst of his suffering. And if you don't think God is patient and long-suffering, read the book of Job or read the Psalms where the psalmist just finally confesses, Lord, I, you, you're, you're acting like an enemy to me. What you're doing is not good for me. I mean, they just spill their guts when it comes to their suffering, and God just let it happen. You see, He remembers that we are but flesh. You know, you might as well tell God how you feel, because He already knows that you're not hiding it. He knows all about what's going on in your mind. And if you're honest, you'll have to admit there sometimes my reasoning is just not what it ought to be because it feels like to us that we're not getting a fair shake in life. It seems like that we're suffering more than we deserve. It seems like that, you know, God ought to be more tender, more gracious toward us. And that's when we need to remember these words. He is the Father of mercies. And we see that declared over and over, but we, we also, as we look in the Word of God, we see this defined for us. The word mercy itself just simply means compassion, or it means pity. It, it speaks about lamentations or grief, uh, sympathizing, having compassion, and, and standing ready to help those that are in need. I read about one little girl who was... Uh, late coming home for supper, you know, back when I was a boy. It wasn't like it is today. You get up in the morning and uh, during the summer and school is out, you get up and eat a bowl of uh, cereal or if, if, if you got up early enough, you could eat with dad, which I seldom did, but then you'd have always the same thing, you know. It would be bacon and eggs and and uh, toast or biscuits and all, all of that good stuff. But anyway, when you got through eating, you'd strike out for the day. The day. I, I mean, I'd jump on my bike, I'd take off, and uh, be gone maybe all day long. Mom had no idea where I was at. Now, I'm not saying, parents, that's the way it ought to be. I'm saying that's the way it was back when I was a boy. But you always made it home by supper time. You know, you wanted to be, because you were good and hungry by then, because, you know, those moon pies and RC colas down at the store that, at noon, you know, that, that didn't fill you up. And so you couldn't wait to get back home. Some of Mama's good home cooking. But anyway, this little girl, she had been out playing all day and she didn't get home when she should have. She was much later than what she was supposed to be. So when she got there, her mother demanded, young lady, where have you been? And she said, Mama, she said, I stopped to help my friend whose bicycle was broken. 
And the mother said, but you don't know anything about fixing bicycles. And she said, I, I, I know that. And she said, I just stopped to help her cry. You know, that's what compassion is. That It's suffering with others. And so here this little girl is there sitting on the curb crying over a, over a broken bicycle. Well, Queen Victoria, many years ago, she had heard of one of the a wife of one of the common laborers, and, and for whatever reason she felt moved that she ought to go express her sympathy, which was very unusual for a queen to do something like that. And so she went there, spent some time with this common woman. So after she left, all of the neighbors are wondering, oh, the, queen, the queen was over there. And they all wanted to know, what, what did the queen have to say? And uh, she said, nothing. Well, what do you mean nothing? The queen came and she didn't say nothing. Come on now, tell us, what did the queen say? She said, she simply put her hands on mine and we silently wept together. Now, if you want a definition of mercy, that is a definition of mercy in that we enter into the suffering, as it were, of others and we share with them the best that we can what they're going through. But... When, when the Bible speaks about God being merciful, He's just another way of telling us that He cares. He loves us. You know, in His grace, He gives us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve anything that we've got. It's all by the grace of God. But when it comes to His mercy, it simply means there that God withholds that which we do deserve. That is the judgment against us. And so many times, you know, we refuse to rush to the aid of someone because, well, it's someone that uh, we don't like or someone that doesn't like us and we don't consider them to be deserving of our assistance. So we just hold them at arm's length. Thank God He doesn't do us that way. He rushes to our, our aid during our time of need. In fact... As Jeremiah tells us in Lamentations, were it not for, but for the mercies of God, we would all be destroyed. I'm glad that I have a Savior who entered into the human experience of suffering just as we do. I mean, look, he was tempted in all points such as we are, yet without sin. If anybody knew what grief and suffering was like, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. He shares in the pain, the agony that we're going through like nobody else can do. And then as I quoted last week there from Hebrews chapter number 4, where it tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? That we might find grace, mercy and the grace to help in a time of need. He is a merciful God. He is, our, he is our intercessor. He stands in between, as it were, on our behalf, knowing exactly how we feel in what we're going through. That's what mercy is all about. And He is the Father of that. He's the originator. He is the source of it. And then it just thrills my heart as I search through the Bible and see a description of, of the mercy of God, the different ways that God describes His mercy in 1 Kings 3, 6, it says it's great. Uh, Boy, I'd agree with that. The mercy of God is something that is great. Then He tells us in Nehemiah chapter number 9 that it is manifold. 
That is that it manifests itself in various ways, different ways. We don't just see it from one perspective. In every area of life, we're able to see the mercy of God in our life, that God is concerned about every minute detail of our life. It's great, it's manifold, it's plenteous. The Bible tells us over in Psalms 86, plenteous, that means it's never going to run out. It'll always be there. It's tender, it's rich, it's everlasting, it is abundant. Thank God for that because even after God has bestowed His mercy upon us over and over and over again, it's still, it's still there. There's always enough. And we don't, have, we don't have the words to describe God's mercy and how much we need God's mercy, regardless of who you are. You might be here today thinking, man, I've got my act all together. Uh, you, you know, I, I, what I really need is a, I need a blessing of, of material things in my life, or I need better health, or I need this, or I need that, but what we all need is mercy. Amen. Too many times, you know, we're like the, the woman who went down, had her picture taken, and boy, whenever the proofs came in, she looked at those, and she was irate, and so she went back down there to the photographer and gave him a piece of her mind and read him the riot act. And she said, look, this is just not acceptable. And uh, he said, well, what's, what's wrong? And she said, well, this doesn't, this doesn't do me justice. He said, lady, you don't need justice. You need mercy. Now, I don't know if he ever got her business again or not. But he told the truth. The point is we all need mercy regardless of who we are. We need mercy. And thank God we can sing of the mercies of the Lord. How? Forever, you see. It's something that is never ending. It'll be there after we have failed over and over and over again. And we see that demonstrated throughout the Bible. For example, in Genesis chapter number 18, we see that the mercy of God stayed the hand of judgment while Abraham is searching. Think about that. God was perfectly justified in just wiping out that place. But here, oh, Abraham is out there, I guess, going door to door. He's, he's looking for ten righteous souls. He knows if I can find ten righteous souls, God's going to spare the city. And it was only of the mercy of God that, that God didn't destroy the city at any point in time. We come to the very next chapter and we see it was the mercy of God that caused the angels to set Lot outside of the city before the destruction came. It doesn't say that they just suggested he leave the city. If I understand it, it's kind of like they picked him up and set him outside and said, you're going like it or not, you're one of mine, and I'm not going to let you perish in this judgment. It's not to say he didn't deserve to perish like the rest of them, but the mercy of God set him outside the city, outside the realm of judgment. Then over in Nehemiah in chapter number 9, we see that that the mercy of God refused to forsake Israel even when they had rebelled. And we can see that over and over again, how the mercy of God kept God from destroying the nation of Israel. And the same is true with us. It's because of His mercy. 
You think about the prodigal son, and there he is, gone in a far country. He's made the most stupid decision of his life. It not only affected him, it was dishonoring to his father that he struck out for parts unknown into a far country, wasted all of his substance in riotous living, and finally, finally, out of desperation, out of hunger, and there was no one there to feed him, and he decides, I'm going to go back to daddy. And he got up and he left, and as he's coming down the road, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran. Get that. It's a picture of God as it were running and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. That's mercy. When God meets you out there where you are and brings you to where you ought to be, you see. And although we've sinned against God over and over, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, he is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. He gave his own son to prove that. He gave His own Son to deliver us from the wrath to come. So instead of us ever complaining about our lot in life, we ought to be exceedingly thankful and glad that God is merciful. Well, when I got out of bed this morning, I, 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 you know, I, it, it's really difficult for a preacher to tell people how you always feel because, you know, you... They they might think well he's just moaning and complaining and, and, and some, sometimes we are but and I, and I I like to say you know man since the day I surrendered to preach I've never ever ever entertained the thought for one minute that that I ought to quit I ought to resign or something but I'd be lying because there have been a few times I thought you know Lord I need to just quit I need to just get out of the way I need to. I just need to, I just need to do that. And it, even while I'm thinking that way, it just eats me up. And because uh, we can always find some reason in our mind to justify the decision that we're making. You know, I'm not as young as I used to be. I heard a lot more than I ever did. And, and uh, somebody, you know, needs me. And I've got this problem and that problem. So, Lord, I, I just, just time turn it over to someone. Well, it was one of those mornings whenever I got up like that. And I just felt like, Lord, I, could you excuse me today? Brother Kenneth's probably chomping at the best. I know he's been sick, but he's young and he's healthy and he's strong. He, he, he could do it, you know. And he would do it. And I said, no, no, you get up and you get going. You know how hard it was for me to crawl in that shire this morning. And, uh, but by the time that I'd sat there and I'd looked and thought and oh, about the mercies of God, and as Katie said, looking back and thinking about where he brought me from, where he brought me from, how dare that I ever entertain the thought of quitting on God? How dare I ever even complain about my lot in life? Because if I got what I deserved, I would have been in hell a long time ago. We have all sinned to the extent that God would be perfectly justified in sending us to eternal torment. It's just because of his mercy and his grace that he doesn't. Boy, Paul's speaking to people here that are going through 
deep trials. Sometimes we think we got it tough, but when we look back at those early Christians, understand they were disowned by their family. Not only that, they were hated and despised by the community. People that you've known all of your life, they found out you professed to become a Christian. And if that wasn't bad enough, whenever the officials found out about it, they was liable to tar and feather you or nail you to a cross. And it was difficult. And so here is Paul writing to people that are, have been persecuted and hated and despised. And he said, I want to remind you that your father is the father of all mercies. He is the God of all comfort. And then the next verse he said, notice, that he comforteth us in all our tribulation. Thank God for that. Now let me try to wrap this up, and I really need two or three hours, to, and then I couldn't finish on this thought about God's mercy. But let me say, and if you're here today and you're unsaved, you need to pray like that publican did. You remember the publican? Here's the proud Pharisee. Boy, he struts up before God and he says, I thank God I'm not as other men are. Oh, I fast, you know, so many times in the week and I, I, I do this. And I'm so proud of, of him being so religious. And here's old publican, he he couldn't even lift his eyes toward heaven. He was so ashamed of himself. And all he could say was, Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, I urge you to do so. Because that man, Jesus said, went down to his house justified, you see. That's the mercy of God that'll take a vile filthy sinner and save him from his wretched condition if you're unsaved that's look that's what you need to do that's all you need to do just trust him if you're here today and you're saved but it might be that you like david not in the same way but in some way like david you've committed sin and you need to pray like david did whenever he said have mercy upon me O god According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And if you've sinned before you leave here today, that ought to be your prayer to God. If you're here today and it might be that you are afflicted in some way, pray as the psalmist did when he said, Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. And he's there to comfort you in your time of need. If you're here today and maybe you are fearful in some way, might be it has to do with the state of your health. It might have to do with your finances. It might have to do with a domestic issue, your marriage or your children or whatever it is. Remember the psalmist in Psalms 103 where he says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him and His righteousness unto children's children. That means my grandkids are 
They're in good shape. Children's children. You see, they can depend upon the mercy of God just like I have these years. Thank God for that, of knowing that God is merciful. And certainly, if you are truly thankful, we ought to say, as the psalmist did, I will sing, I will sing of the mercy of the Lord forever. That that ought to be our song throughout the day. But then there's one more thing that's too often that we forget about. And that is, if your help is needed, you need to do as you're told in Luke chapter 6 and verse 36. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. You know, that's not a suggestion. That is a command. That just as God has been merciful to us when we see those that are in need. Remember Paul said that God has comforted you that you might comfort others. And the sad thing is that we live in a day where showing mercy to others is, well, it's as scarce as grass around a hog trough. I mean, you just can't find it. Why? Because everybody's rooting around trying to get all they can. They don't care about you. They don't care about your problems. Boy, you let somebody step up and step out and all of a sudden begin to minister to you. That makes an impact. That makes an impression on them. And if you're ever, ever going to have an interest in bringing someone to Christ, then you better put into practice what he says here. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father is merciful. That's informative. That is inspirational. And it's important for us to meditate upon God's mercy. Because those that have experienced God's mercy need to extend God's mercy. Those that have gone through deep afflictions and great sorrow need to show mercy to others. And God makes that so clear to us in the parable of the unmerciful servant. I remember, remember the one fellow here, he is, boy, he's been blessed of God. He's got everything under the sun, everything you can imagine. And here he's got someone under his authority. It's going through great trials. And even though his great debt has been forgiven, he refuses, he refuses to minister to the one that he considers beneath him. You see, when it comes to God's mercy, it's always undeserved. And he received from God what he refused to extend to others. And it's easy for us to sing about God's goodness about God's love, about God's grace, and about God's mercy. But listen, if we do that without a desire to relieve others of their suffering, there's no reason for us to believe that God is listening to our so-called praise. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you think God takes us seriously whenever we sing, Oh, I could sing of, His, uh, of Jesus' love divine when we refuse to show any love for others? There's nothing in the world more Christ-like. We often sing that little chorus, which I love, by the way, you know, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. That, that ought to be the desire of our heart. That's what Paul wanted. He said, for to me to live is Christ, to be like Jesus. And we sometimes we sing that and we forget seemingly that nothing is more like Christ than us showing mercy to others. 
Nothing, listen, God even says that he desires that above sacrifice. Listen to what Jesus said. This is in Matthew chapter number 9. And he said, but go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. You do, do, would you like to know God's will for your life? Maybe you're thinking, well, preacher, you, you don't know God's will for my life. Well, you, yes and no. I might know more about God's will for your life than you think I do, and you ought to know some things about God's will for your life. But somebody says, oh, if I knew the will of God, I would do it. You got it backwards. If you're willing to do it, you'll know it. And Jesus said it that way, basically. Any man you know that will do, he said he'll know the doctrine the teaching. And over in Micah it says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. This is God's will for you and me. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee. Here it is. But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. You see, God is more interested in how we treat others than He is in the keeping of our traditional religious ceremonies. I mentioned a while ago about wanting to preach that sermon about uh, that old-time religion. And uh, let me tell you, some people get the wrong impression because it's easy for me to look back 55 years ago and to think about how it was then and to have a desire for it to be that way today. When I was driving over, somebody had set the radio on that, uh, well, it was all that southern gospel and had that crab boy singing a song on there about the gospel ship. I about come unglued on the way over here listening to that. And it brought back to my mind those days when they had the all-night singings and, and, and every church is four-part harmony. And, and th- Let me tell you, though, a lot of times our desire, our wanting to go back to the way that it used to be is just based on our preference for the way that it was. And we want to bring all of that to another generation who who's, doesn't think like we do, for one thing. I hope I'm not losing you here, and I've not lost track of where I'm going with this. And I said, Lord, I want to preach about that old-time religion. But let me tell you, everything about the old-time religion wasn't exactly as it ought to be, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the way that it ought to be today. People change. People are different. Times are different. But there are some things about returning to the old paths that, that, that ought to be there through every generation, things that never change about our Christian life. And if I live to be another 10, 20, 30 years old, I hope to God to be preaching the same truths that I've been preaching for 55 years because those truths have never changed. But the one thing I do know is that among all of those things that God wants, His will for our life, whether it was in the earlier generation or this generation or the next, God says, I want you to love mercy and to walk humbly. 
God expects that of all of us. And you can leave here today, and I hope you do, rejoicing over the fact that He is the Father of mercies. But, but, it'll be a waste of your breath if you refuse to show mercy to others. And the best thing that we can do for ourselves is what? To be good to others. There in the Beatitude in Matthew chapter number 5 and verse 7, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful. If you want to prosper spiritually, if you want to enjoy the very best that God has to offer in your life, if you want to be able to, to find the secret, the key to being happy regardless of your circumstances, here it is. Blessed. Your happiness doesn't depend upon what happens to you. Blessed, notice, are the merciful for what? They shall obtain mercy. As we show it, as, they, as we show it to others, it comes back to us. And if there's anybody here that's such a fool that you think you don't need the mercy of God, you're just kidding yourself. You need it today, you're going to need it tomorrow. And if you expect God to be merciful to you, then you need to show mercy to others regardless of who they are. So I pray that when you leave here today, you not only leave saying, thank you, Lord, for being the Father of mercies, for ministering to my heart and meeting my needs, but help me go out that door showing Jesus to others. Because so many times we leave the impression with others that we're some kind of a hypocrite. We sing and we say one thing, and yet... And yet, when we come down to where the rubber meets the road, down to the nitty-gritty, we don't, we don't live up to what we've been talking about. And that makes the gospel repulsive to people. But boy, when they see it in shoe leather, whenever they see you putting into practice what the Bible says about Jesus, that makes an impression. They might not be saved today or tomorrow, but believe me, they will not forget it. And it could be the key, the very thing that sooner or later will cause them to open up the doors of their heart and trust that same Jesus that you love so dearly. The God of all comfort, because He is the Father, the Father of mercies. And that gives us a what? A peace that, what does it do? Past us all understanding. You can't wrap your mind around that. That's what God wants to do for you. Will you trust Him today? Whether you're here as an unsaved person or whether you're like David, in some way you've sinned against God and you want to return to God and, and you cry out for His mercy. Or you're in, you're, you're in a pit of affliction. You're troubled and, and burdened down. And I want you to know there's, there's help to be found. There's a reason for you to have hope today. Amen. And I hope you'll leave here thinking, well, finally I've, I've found some relief for what I'm going through for the struggles. Because that's exactly what God wants to do for you today.
Let's stand together. Father, bless us now. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But Lord, we need it. We need what you and you alone can do. So I pray today that the Holy Spirit might walk as it were up and down the aisles of this church and speak to hearts, pull us away from ourself and draw us to our dear Savior. And may He be magnified here today. May your people be edified in all that's said and done. Have your way and get glory to yourself, for we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we sing, you can...